Hey everybody, welcome back to Mixtape. I'm Henry Pickovet. I'm Megan Rose Dickey. I'm Megan Rose Dickey. It's been a while, huh? It's been a little while, like, but... We're on season... We're on season season eight, eight now, right? <laughs> yeah, you've all missed the last, like, Lots six seasons. seasons yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is technically season three. Season three, we have so. a new look. We do. New look, uh, well, it's just in a different color. Yeah. But... Um, it's actually appropriate because uh, Juneteenth... Uh, is coming up June and 19th. it's all about red so is it it's red is a big it's a prime color in that in that celebration i was not aware so you of have that. like you like watermelon and like red beans and rice and i'm honestly just learning are you making stuff. this up or no is this? i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i'm not because my family is actually for the first time celebrating juneteenth so I we're see. all like googling trying to figure out like <laughs> nice <laughs> How to actually like properly celebrate it? So, so maybe maybe there are people who are listening who don't know what Juneteenth is. Since you've been googling <laughs> so much, why don't you? Yeah, so June nineteenth, it's like referred to as the day when like black people really became free. It's like when they found out in Texas that slavery was was actually over, and um, yeah, I guess it's been. I think it's actually it's a it's a state holiday. In, in Texas, mm. and then I know that while President Obama was in office, he actually tried to get it to be a national holiday. Did not happen, but... Um, yeah, it was uh, June 19th was uh, my grandfather's birthday. Mm. It was interesting. Or not, he had a birthday. Uh, <laughs> it just so happened to have been June 19th. Um, but yeah, June, Juneteenth is, it's, I, you know, it's interesting how a lot of people just don't know about it. Um, obviously, they would know more about it if it were a holiday mm-hmm. um but which it is but but not not federal um i do like the fact that there's a celebration it's you know i don't know i mean i certainly didn't know red was part of the part of the celebration but yeah when you talk about watermelon you talk about mm-hmm. you talk about red beans and rice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah so cool so you just got back from washington dc I did. Yeah, I was there for Uber Elevate, Uber's third annual flying taxi summit. You know what's interesting to me? This just popped in my head because when you went, you went last year to right. Uber Elevate. It was in and LA. that was your first time. And it's interesting that they move them around. Probably DC makes sense because of the policy government. Right. So, aspect of it. Yeah, from what I've, from what I've gathered, because so they're, the plan is to so like year one it was in it was in Dallas, and Dallas will be um, one of the first launch cities in the U.S. Um, they're aiming for 2023. Then last year, the second year, that was in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is also um, one of the launch cities. Um, D.C. not actually one of the launch cities, but yeah, just like you said, it makes sense because of they obviously like have to work with the FAA and they're right. trying to get other. Um, other stakeholders on board. So when you say launch day, launch year, what, do yeah. you, what are they launching? They're launching a, well, they say that they <laughs> are going to launch a, a commercial flying taxi service. So it'll basically be ride hailing, but in the sky. And that's going to entail having what they're calling skyports. So instead of an airport, it's a skyport. And these skyports are going to be on top of like, parking garages and other buildings and that's where you'll you'll board that's where you'll board uber air and it'll take you either to another skyport or even to the airport just because so many already so many uber trips right now are to and from the airport yeah 
you can imagine how I feel. Not great. How you, <laughs> you can imagine. I think you feel very good about this. I think you not very good about it, perhaps, <laughs> but like because you cover it. But you're you're not you're not as skeptical as I am. I mean, well, it's funny because I actually I'm more skeptical than I was when I went last year. Okay. Um, this is helpful for me. Yeah, and I mean, and I I talked about this in um, in a story I did for for Extra Crunch recently, and uh, just about how it's. It's still not where it needs to be. Like Uber Air is not close to really being ready. And um, because I was talking to Uber's director of engineering for their their battery systems, and um, her name's Selena, and she was saying that um, like the the batteries in the prototypes, which are going to start, they're going to start testing next year theoretically, are going to be very very different from the ones that they actually want to have by 2023. And the ones that they'll be initially testing, like, are not going to have long life cycles. Like, they're not going to be designed to last, um, to last like, at least, like, 10 trips per vehicle every day. And, um, yeah, they're just, like, so there's, like, a lot of moving parts to it. And, and that's just the batteries. The batteries alone are just, right now, not ready. And then on top of that, you still need FAA approval. You still need um, buy-in from cities. You still need public acceptance. So there's just like all these things that are still just going to make it really hard to actually see this become a real thing. Then you actually need to like build these skyports. <laughs> like there's there's still like a lot that needs to be done. And um, I remember even last year, like the, the FAA acting administrator Dan Elbel was saying that that I think someone someone asked him like oh so do you really think it'll be 2023 and he just said like we'll see and like even on in his like keynote this year at Elevate he was just talking about safety and really needing to make sure that like safety comes first like above everything else and Uber did touch on that quite a bit at the at the summit but it's still you know we'll, I think we'll we'll have a better idea starting next year when they actually start start testing these and people kind of see what what it's like well because didn't a couple of helicopters crash right that's recently? the other thing so yeah, the safety it's not a, yeah it's not a good time to <laughs> be launching right. this like hybrid helicopter airplane i just i i mean i i guess you know maybe it won't at some point none of us thought there would be electric vehicles except the people who really wanted electric vehicles back mm-hmm. in the what late 70s early 80s um, and, and look at, look at, they're everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, this is just some Dr. Who shit that <laughs> I can't even imagine existing. And I think it's pretty, um, audacious for, for Uber to want to, you know, carry people, but you know, th- from, I don't know, homes to airports and, and just like you, instead of, and they have to go to the top of a building to the, to the, what's, what is that? The the skyport, skyport yeah. and then go somewhere else <clears throat> and then and then i don't know go back down yeah. i don't know i just i can't and then the, and then they want to do the one of the stories you wrote this week was about uh, using drones to deliver mm-hmm. food yeah um so i mean i guess uber you know uber's uber's goal is to move people from point a to point b mm-hmm. uh without without making people have cars so I guess they're like, why not use the sky? Right. Um, yeah. And then, and even just this, um, like what month is it? It's May. So it's yeah. June. Is it June? It's June. 
it's Juneteenth is is <laughs> next week. Thing we were literally just talking about. Okay. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Um. So it's June, <laughs> and earlier this month in June, Uber Uber unveiled uh, Ubercopter, which is essentially like V1 of Uber Air. And with mm. with Ubercopter, it's right now it's just in just in New York City, Manhattan, and you, you pick up the helicopter and like like lower part of the city, and then you can get it to JFK. But it's like I don't know, like two hundred dollars, and so. And the and I guess like the the promise of Uber Air like Uber's big vision is that it will reduce congestion, it will make for greener cities, and it will actually be cheaper than owning your own car. But that's that's not going to be day one. That's going to be maybe like ten years from now when mm. these things are are actually autonomous. So and we don't even have self driving cars yet, really. <laughs> so it's. It's right. still going to be a while, but I mean, if that actually happens, like that's when I get excited. I'm like, well, yes, that would be really cool if this thing happens. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, and I'll be in my mid fifties by then, so um, hope hopefully not long for the world. So maybe <laughs> when it all happens. But I mean, I like again, I think that that they're they're kind of going full speed ahead. Whereas whereas like what are what is Lyft doing? Besides putting more, I guess, scooters now on the and bikes on the yeah. streets, right? Yeah, they're rebranding. Yeah, they recently rebranded their uh, Bay Area bike share uh, from Ford Go Bike to Bay Wheels. So Lyft was Ford Go Bike, right? Okay. Yeah, because Lyft bought Motivate, Got which it. owned City Bike in New York City, and then Ford Go Bike <coughs> in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hmm. <laughs> like I, I, yeah. I just don't even think I have anything to say about it. Yeah, no, that's know, that's fair. Like, okay. Just a lot of scooters, a lot of bikes. And I, you know, I wonder. I, I, don't, I wonder what other cities. I mean, the scooters are obviously in a lot of cities, but there yeah. are cities who don't have scooters, and probably some of those people are like, "What the hell are you all talking about?" But they really are essentially all over the country at this point, yeah. um, and in many parts of, of still the world. I still haven't ridden one. Like when I was in DC, there were there were scooters from Lyft, Lime, Uber's Jump, uh, Skip spin (laughs) so that's at least five and i remember one night uh my girlfriend and i were like trying to find a scooter we were trying to find two which made a little bit harder but like we we came across like five different scooters they were either they were they either like needed repair were out of battery uh someone had already reserved it or like the app just like didn't work and wouldn't wow. <laughs> wouldn't book the scooter, and like so then we just ended up walking home and like which was fine but it's just and then like some of the apps they like I, I think it was with Bird and Spin they make you like prepay so like oh like buy like like pre like auto load your card so it's like okay well here's five fucking dollars and then I try to reserve the goddamn scooter and it's like oh well like no this is this doesn't work. <laughs> Huh. It's like, well, okay, can I have my $5 back? So it's $5 a ride? No, it's not. How how much is it per ride? It's like a dollar to unlock and then like 15 cents or so per ride. So they're trying to like kind of get you to just it's buy into cheap. their ecosystem. Yeah. But so they're like, well, pay $5 up front. Uh-huh. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not I'm not paying $5 to get on the scooter well, today, right I now. I did. And then the fucking app did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, which is like, and I think it was, this is kind of what I realized was that 
Oh, it actually is nice for Uber and Lyft to be these like multimodal transportation services because then like, because then I was also downloading every fucking app. Like I was like, oh, well, here's a spin. So like, let me download the spin app. Oh, that doesn't work. Okay. Well, like two blocks later, I see a bird. Oh, like, let me download the bird app now. And yeah, that's what one of my questions is, is how do you, how, I mean, I'm trying to think of another example. You know, we, we go to the store and we can, we have, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of cheese. (laughs) <laughs> or different brands of bread. I don't know. And then, so like, so there's, there's all these scooter companies. Well, right. in SF, you only have two. Two. Praise be. Yeah, so. For now, at least. It's still like not, because Bird bought Scoot. And um, it's not quite clear what that means for Scoot. I've, I've heard that they might need to reapply for a permit. but And that happened, oh. It just happened this week. So. We were we were talking about it in Bird because Bird was one of the companies that was rejected by San Francisco City right. Council last year or Board of Supervisors. Um, SFMTA, San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. So, so then they're like, "We'll just buy, we'll just buy one of the companies right. who was approved." But you're just you're just saying that they're going to have to go through another approval process. They might. Okay. Yeah, it's not um, totally clear right now. Yeah, so I so what you're saying is, you know, if Uber Uber has the scooters, Lyft has the scooters, you can just open up Uber and then say I want a scooter. Right. And, and then, yeah, and what's cool is that Uber also has a partnership with Lime. So then when I opened up the Uber app, I saw the Jump scooters and the Lime scooters in DC. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So but how do you, at that how do you point, pick, I was over it. Yeah. How do you pick what scooter to use, though? It's like, oh, no, I'm only a limer. Or well, I'm I only think, a scooter. Because there were times where, like, I'd walk by a certain brand and be like, okay, like, I don't have that app, so I'm just going to wait until I ah, see okay. one from the other. Um, but, um, yeah, but then also it's just like, well, like, what's closest to me right now? Shouldn't there be one app that has all of them in it? So as you're walking by it, you can just go boop. Yeah, but then the companies would have to sign on to that. I feel like that people were trying to do that in the earlier days of ride hailing when there was like Uber and Lyft. And then like there were definitely other ones that now I just don't Can't remember, remember the names of. Same. But um, like was it wasn't Sidecar or something. Oh, yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> what the like, riders talking about in the riders Slack channel today? Somebody was talking about a different Sidecar. <laughs> But, um, yeah, and then people were like, oh, like, wouldn't it be great if you could just, like, have this one app? But then companies were like, no, like, you can't fucking use our API. And, hmm. yeah. Because then it's like, then you can, like, compare cost and whatnot. And they were just like, eh. Okay, so on our first episode back for the start of season three, we have a guest. We have a very special guest. Bow, for- bow. You know, sound pew, pew, pew. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. As I was saying, Mina Harris came in. was our first stu- uh, first guest in our new studio, which was cool. And she's the head of strategy and leadership at Uber. And she's also started a campaign called Phenomenal Woman, which she goes into great detail about, which is um, you've seen people walking around the city or th- the country wearing um, T-shirts that say Phenomenal Woman or Phenomenal Voter or Phenomenally Asian. It, um, it's a really great campaign that she talks about. She's also the niece of... Of U.S. Senator and presidential candidate Kamala Harris, so she talked very little bit, a little bit about that as well. So uh, let's dive right in. Sweet. So you grew up 
grew up in in the Bay Area, and and now you're in the tech industry. And I feel like oftentimes we hear of like, okay, well, like the locals, like they hate the tech industry. And so I mean, like I'm also, I always say I'm like tangentially like related. Tech adjacent. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, yeah. You can like disclaim it more <laughs> right, than right. So, I might be able to. But you're actually like legitimately in it. Mm-hmm. So like, what's what's that been like for you? It has been, you know, like love, hate, bittersweet. I think sometimes I, especially when I first went into tech um, right out of college and I worked at Facebook, I still felt like an outsider in many ways. I, at that time, it was on the basis of, you know, not being technical and being mm-hmm. in a technical role. It was also on the basis of uh, being really involved in, in politics and, and local politics and social justice issues and feeling like the, you know, this was in the middle of the 08 campaign, as an example. And I was sort of, me and Chris Hughes, um, who was one of the co-founders, were like the two Obama supporters. Mm-hmm. And I think people saw us as like, okay, we get it. Like, you're really aggressive with your, like, political <laughs> activism. And it's just funny to look back, right? And I'm not, I don't want to judge because I think we were a company of, like, 20-year-olds. And we know that um, we could be doing a lot better in terms of getting 20-year-olds engaged in elections and, you know, political activism. Um, or at least at that time, I think we we're obviously doing a lot better now. But uh, that was kind of the first time that I felt sort of like, okay, I'm in it, but I don't fully sort of connect with it. Um, Which is to say that I don't think I've ever like completely drank the Mm Kool-Aid, you know? Um, And I think with any industry I've been in, including, you know, the law and other spaces I've been in, of course, I'm going to come to it with a critical eye. Um, That's how I was raised to question (laughs) institutions, um, traditional institutions and authority. So I think... um, that's always been my perspective, but I also very much take the view that it's important to, you know, have folks that think like me and have my perspective and think like you at the table and um, in positions of, of leadership and authority where we actually can make decisions that have impact. And um, it's, it's been an interesting and, you know, I think cool journey to have started really young and then to now be in a position where I do have that influence and and to see how I can make an impact. Um, But, you know, it's been what uh, I graduated in 2006. It's been almost 15 years, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been, I think, for me, the my main perspective has really been around how to change the city. And I was actually I was at Facebook really early and then I left to go to law school and I was on the East Coast for um, almost 10 years. And like you, I, Henry, I never thought that I was going to come back. I fell in love with New York, um, especially, and thought, like, this is my city. I'm here to stay. Um, I was smart enough to take the California bar because <laughs> I oh, knew nice. that I was not going to do that, like, again, after um, taking, like, the New York bar or something. So I was smart to, like, get that out of the way, yes. right, on the off chance that I came back. Yeah. Um, That's when it was three days. Yes. Now it's well, two. Well, no, I now heard. it's two days, and I'm so bitter about <laughs> it. Like, that's a badge of honor to have taken the California bar, and then now, you know, it's, like, the same as You're everybody else. You only t-shirts for that, for sure. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I have a lot of pride in in doing that. But, um, for me, you know, I was gone during this period of, um, real change in terms of tech really moving to, or a lot of the big companies moving to San Francisco and how that changed the city. And I was kind of absent for a lot of that. And then I came back and I'm like, where am I? You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, 
um, so different now. And I saw some of it from afar. I, you know, I was um, working at a, a corporate law firm and representing big tech companies when you had the Google mm. um, bus protests and all that stuff going down. And we were all kind of out there like, damn, what's going on? <laughs> um, but I wasn't in it, you know. Um, I was still sort of outside. And so to come back after that rapid, you know, and significant change, it's been kind of um, weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what made you want to get back in it? So, and it was kind of unexpected. I, to be honest, I was at a point in my career where, you know, I went to law school knowing that I wasn't going to practice law for the rest of my life, but really wanted to get that training and education and, you know, do my time at a law firm and really, again, get that training and education and sort of foundational skill. Um, and after three years, you know, as we were going into the 2016 election, I was sort of thinking, you know, do I want to stick this out for another year or so and wait to see what happens with the White House and hopefully we'll have a Democrat um, and maybe I'll, you know, want to go into government. Um, and then a job opportunity came up um, with Slack and I thought, you know, maybe I'll just, why not, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was um, at that time um, dating my now partner and he was in New York and so sort of like do we want to go back do I go to New York and practice there um, or do we try something entirely new and we were also um, in the process of starting a family and so um, the idea of you know getting to go back into tech as well as you know starting our family in California where we're both from um, felt right and um, very uncharacteristic for me I was like all right you know F it like let's just go um, and decided you know if, if we ended up you know getting in a Democrat into the White House then maybe I'd go back but like we wanted to have our, our kid here and, and start you know our family in California so it was sort of spur of the moment mm -hmm. and um, I definitely thought you know maybe we will go back after a year or two and we'll kind of you know taking it day by day and then the election happened, um, and I didn't realize that I got out <laughs> before, um, you know, everything went down, so to speak. And so um, we, you know, decided to stay and, and to stick with it here. And that's also obviously what led to me starting the Phenomenal Woman campaign, um, coming out of the election and, you know, going into the Women's March and thinking about it as sort of, you know, what can I do uh, to contribute to this this moment and, you know, contribute to the resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very much supposed to be like a lot of the stuff that I had been doing in, in politics. I just, you know, mentioned how at Facebook I was involved, but that was obviously on the side, right? It was very much another example of that, of, you know, what can I be doing in my own free time um, to, to be involved? And it just took off completely unexpectedly. So, um, you know, here we are over two years into the um, Phenomenal Woman campaign, I've now um, been back in tech for, I guess, over three years, which is, I remember saying like, oh, we just got back. We've, we've, we've been here for a year now. And now it's like, okay, and we're I have here two to kids. stay. Yeah, now I have two kids. <laughs> um, uh, so, life is crazy. And now I have a family member running for president right. and challenging yeah. the, the dude in the White House. So, so let's do this introduction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you just mentioned your aunt, uh, Kamala Harris, who is uh, one of the presidential candidates for the next election, uh, go vote. Um, and so when you were in New York and you were waiting for the election, you came, you decided to come back here and you had the, the job. It seems like based on your upbringing, um, your, your law degree, your, your activism, you could probably do something within tech to affect change somehow. You're uh, at Uber now. Yes. Uh, yep. And you're VP of strategy. Yep. So that seems like you could affect some change. But then on the outside, so there's two questions here. So on the outside of when you're on your, when you're not at work, you then decided, you know what, I'm going to try to affect some change and create this, which you just mentioned, the Phenomenal Woman campaign. Why don't you talk a little bit about what that actually is, the campaign itself? Yeah, for sure. 
So it, as I said, it was inspired by, you know, the election and this intense focus on women and, you know, um, not only in terms of the candidate, but I think going and into the Women's March, you know, what what is this administration going to mean for women and women's rights? And oh, my God, I mean, now we are seeing what that actually looks like, right, in terms of all these attacks now across the country on um, reproductive rights. And it was really recognizing you know this this moment in this this new era of activism and engagement that i was really inspired by but also thinking about the women who came before us and who paved the path for all of us to be here and and to be in washington and to be marching and those are often women of color and and black women right who are leading these movements and so i was thinking about my angelo and um you know women like my mother who have been doing this work for a long time and and celebrating them right while also and, and honoring them while celebrating this moment in this new era of, of activism and so that's really what inspired inspired the original sort of you know um, t-shirt and campaign and it was a very small idea right it was not i even feel weird now when people refer to it like as a movement or you know it was never supposed to be that and i still feel weird even claiming that but um you know it was just I had a, a, a creative idea and I thought, what the hell, like, let me make some t-shirts. My friends are going to the march. I couldn't make it. I had a little baby at home, so I, I stayed back, but I wanted to be a part of it, right? And so um, I made 20 or so t-shirts and sent my friends to DC wearing them and they got lots of compliments and there was just these incredible images of them wearing these t-shirts and it was so powerful. And I thought, well, you know, let's keep it going and let's turn it into, you know, a campaign. So we decided, so obviously the March was in January. So I decided, okay, for the month of March for Women's History Month, let's do a one month campaign. Let's raise money for women's organizations through the sale of these t-shirts that, you know, became sort of popular from the March. And I thought we would sell, you know, a couple hundred shirts over one month and the first day we sold 2,500 shirts. And I was like, wow, okay, we've really, it, it's clearly about this moment, but I, it's also about the message and, and what I think people wanted and needed in that moment. And what's incredible is, I mean, I think you, it, it, it's universal, but it's also personal and you see the value and the importance of that and the fact that it's lasted now over two years, right? Mm -hmm. So it was that one month campaign and then we said, okay, this is really taking off. We gotta keep it going, you know, let's do three months. And I was working in tech, right? Like this was a side thing. It was just not, it was not supposed to be, you know, a full-time um, job. And so over three months, I think it, we sold over 10,000 shirts. And I've always, I, I mentioned sort of being involved in political activism, but I've also been, um, always been a creative person, always been an entrepreneur um, and something that, a, a term that I've been more open to claiming also more recently, right? Of, um, you know, like, yes, I am an entrepreneur and this is part of, I think that, uh, that, interest, right, of, of continuing it. So I, I approached it that way. And I thought, you know, how can we reach different communities? How can we, how can I, you know, walk down the street and, and see like tons of women wearing these t-shirts? I want to keep it going and going as long as I possibly can. Um, and so that's what we did, right? And uh, we uh, just this last fall launched in what we're calling an identity collection, starting with Native Women's Equal Pay Day. Um, so the idea is that, you know, what can we as a platform do to really shed light on um, what are often, you know, complex, serious social issues, but make them accessible and tangible for ordinary people through our um, marketing campaigns and through the t-shirts, right? So we launched um, Phenomenally Indigenous on Native Women's Equal Pay Day, and uh, that led to a, a whole succession of other similar shirts. So Phenomenally Latina for Latin Equal Pay Day, 
Um, and that was building on what we had done the year before, which is we were using that Phenomenal Woman shirt to run these various campaigns on um, different equal paydays to make the distinct point that women of color have a different experience with mm -hmm. pay inequity than um, white women do, right? So traditionally, we have um, recognized what you want to call a universal general equal pay day, which happens in April, but black women don't reach equal pay until, you know, this year it won't be until August. For Latinas, it won't be till the end of November, right? They have to work an entire extra year, basically, to catch up to what white men made the year before. So the idea is that, you know, it's, it's a small thing, but it's, it's tangible and it, it gets people's attention, right? It starts a conversation. Um, it can help to educate folks on um, these issues that they may not otherwise be engaging in. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about ordinary people, right? Mm. We're all busy going about our lives, but I think um, in this moment, especially in this era, Trump era, especially, people are looking for ways to engage. And I think you also have to be, though, realistic about like meeting people where they are, right? And, and making it easy and accessible for them. And I think that's what's um, successful about our campaign is it provides that opportunity. Where do you see it headed in the next um, couple of years? Do you, I mean, I feel like movements all start with somebody saying, I didn't expect it to be this big. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Um, totally. I mean, that's what I think from the perspective of an entrepreneur, what's been kind of just um, both challenging and inspiring, which is that um, for the first year, it was like, how do we get to the next month, right? How do we, you know, get to Latin Equal Pay Day in November, um, having started the campaign in March, um, or, or even, you know, thinking months ahead. And now, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what can we do in the next two years? What are we going to do in the next five years? And so part of it is sort of readjusting my perspective and, and um, approach to, you know, building it. And absolutely, to answer your question, um, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, what are we going to do in the next two years and five years? And part of it is, is continuing what I described, which is how do we use this platform to continue uplifting communities and celebrating communities that don't often, you know, get that visibility and representation and, and bringing an intersectional lens to social issues that, again, are not something that sort of ordinary folks are, are necessarily engaging with on a regular basis. Um, so it's also, you know, it's, it's tying in, it's... Um, it's it's tapping into also you know consumer behaviors around you know wanting to um, support businesses that have a charitable cause right and to support um, issue based uh, uh, campaigns and so I think being able to understand uh, what people are both looking for as well as uh, from the consumer perspective as well as from the sort of the social engagement perspective I think it's at the intersection of that right. Because um, you're because the, the uh, proceeds go to organizations, right? Not exactly. only uh, you have you have uh, Black Girls Who Code. We have um, Girls Who Code, uh, SE Justice Group, which focuses on women with incarcerated loved ones, Higher Heights, which is building um, political power for Black women. Um, so we actually, it's interesting. We started off with sort of you know six core organizations. So if you bought any of our um, T-shirts, they were split across all the organizations. And we've now expanded to running individual campaigns that are tied to one organization. So as an example, um, we just did the I'm going to win campaign. I'm wearing I'm going to win T-shirt today. Mm. Um, and that was in partnership with Higher Heights, right, which, um, which builds black women's political power. So mm. for the indigenous one, we partnered with um, Native Voices Rising, which is another philanthropic organization that um, builds power for, you know, native communities across um, the country. And that's the idea, right? How can we 
partner with these different communities, with these organizations that are actually doing the work on the ground and amplify that work. Um, so it's, it's not just about, you know, raising money, but it's also how can we spread awareness around the work that they're doing and, and the issues that they're advocating on. Because a lot of that work, you know, it happens behind the scenes, right? And um, as I said, sometimes it's complex, you know, policy issues, legislative work that people are doing. But I think that there's an incredible opportunity to um, bring that to the you know masses, so to speak, and to get ordinary people to engage. Um, and again, in a way that I don't think we've historically seen, certainly not before this moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. Where I think there's a real hunger and desire for people to be knowledgeable on issues and to engage substantively and meaningfully on issues. Um, and and you know, to that point, not just sort of like donate money, right? Like mm -hmm. people want to actually know what they're talking about and 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 really be um, engaged at a meaningful level. So. I think we're sort of an entry point for that, right? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, obviously it's it's about more than just the money. <clears throat> it's, it's about more than just the money, but I mean, but how much money have you raised for all of these? Yeah, so we've sold, um, I think, I, I should have looked this up before I came, but over, th I think, 30,000 shirts to date um, and have raised over 200, I think $250,000 for organizations, yeah. Awesome. And now what we're doing, I mean, we have really close relationships with our, um, with most of our nonprofit partners. And so um, it's, it's been a really, to your question earlier about sort of like, what does next month look like? What does next year look like? We're now thinking about, you know, how do we really deeply engage with um, one organization over the course of a year to amplify the work, that their priorities and their policy agenda over the course of a year? So um, SE Justice Group is an organization super close to my heart, um, both in terms of the issue area, as well as um, the I just have immense respect and admiration for the um, founder and executive director I went to law school with. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that she's brilliant and is doing extraordinary work around and innovative, cutting edge work around um, criminal justice reform from the perspective of, of women um, who are on the outside, you know, bearing this burden. Um, and so we're thinking about, you know, is there something that we can be doing around bail reform, right? Is there is there a way that we can really um, lean more deeply into these issues and um, and create sort of more long-lasting issue marketing campaigns in partnership with our with our nonprofit partners? So that's one example of how we're really trying to figure out, you know, how do we deepen engagement? How do we um, really lean into different types of issues in communities even more, and do it on a sustained basis? Uh, but, you know, also bringing our creative lens to it, right? Um, I won't, I, I'm like dying to reveal what our, what we're talking about right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold off for now. <laughs> when, when, when can we ask you about it or when? You so, gonna... I mean, it's, it's, we're, it's in process. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get it out the door sometime next year. Um, oh, that's, that's far away. I know, <laughs> I know, especially, are you, you're trying to get it out of me. Um, what I'll say is that it's on a, like a very, um, very kind of, uh, particular what's that next year's 2020 yeah I know well it actually has nothing to do with the campaign okay. uh, it has nothing to do with the election um, but the point there as well right is that these issues are ongoing it, it doesn't uh, they don't right. begin and end and mm -hmm. uh, you know go away with you know the election cycle and we got to be engaging with them year-round right like that's part of the point and something that we're certainly thinking about, which is how do you reach folks outside of an election year? How do you reach right. them outside of, um, you know, the week leading up to um, election day? And that's precisely the point, right? How do we engage with people outside of those moments? And so anyway, for SC Justice Group, there's a very particular experience that women have um, and, uh, and challenges they experience with visiting and talking to incarcerated loved ones, including, and you've done a ton on this in terms of social justice work, Megan, but um, 
you know, uh, the fees, the phone fees, right? The, um, the, 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 um, the cost of traveling um, to visit. There's another aspect that we're really focused on, which I'll tease in terms of what we're looking at, um, which is that there's all these restrictions on what you can wear, right? So for women, you can't, if, if, if you come in with a um, bra with wire in it, you can't have that bra on, right? You have to have a, a, a um, wireless um, bra. Uh, there are other restrictions on, on, on how you visit. And so, you know, thinking about how do we spread awareness around those particular circumstances and how they create more challenges for folks that are just trying to see their loved ones who um, are in prison, right? And, and my opinion is probably most of them shouldn't be there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And how do, we, um, how do we spread awareness, uh, create visibility and representation for those folks, especially through uh, consumer advertising, right? Through a consumer product. Um, in a way that people are not really doing, right? And so it's also about inclusivity and, and marketing and advertising. I don't think you've probably seen another campaign that's focused specifically on women with incarcerated loved ones, right? Um, and I, I would love at some point um, to be able to push a Nike or you know a big um, company to say, you guys can be doing this too, right? right. Um, there's no reason why you can't release every product with a social issue or social justice story behind it. And can we challenge people to do that and be a model for that? Yeah. So um, that's what I really hope the future looks like and, and really being able to create um, impactful campaigns that help us to spread awareness. But the, there's another piece of it, too, which is about in, in terms of visibility and representation, which is celebrating those communities. Right. And in and, and, and doing these campaigns and creating these products saying, you know, we see you and we we want to support you and we want to celebrate you. We want to make this easier for you, right? Um, that would be in the case of what we're looking at for um, women who are visiting loved ones in prison. So I think the sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned. And um, I think it's just about, you know, thinking in terms of how do we build this for the long term. And I'm just now kind of getting into that mindset um, as this has been a side thing that I've been doing for over two years now. <laughs> so um, I look forward to what we might be able to build in the yeah, future. Same. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely keep us in the loop. And I mean, do you envision this becoming more of a full-time thing for you? Or <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm currently employed at Uber, and I'm very um, happily employed there. I, you know, <laughs> I think it's one of those, and any entrepreneur's journey, this, like, big question of when do you – if you if you want to do it full time, mm -hmm. when do you make that leap? You know, and um, I've had I've said this before, like I've had other interesting creative ideas that have taken off in their own ways, but like they weren't quitting my job for. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think there's another piece of this, which is that I'm doing really impactful, awesome work at Uber. And I want to continue that and, and see that through. And the third piece of it is that there's actually kind of an intersection between, you know, what I'm aiming to do with Phenomenal Woman and what I'm doing with Uber. And in fact, my uh, being employed there came out of a partnership that I did with Uber with Phenomenal Woman. Oh. Yeah. And so um, being able to sort of continue that work and see how you can, um, you know, use some of those those learnings and um, strategies and, and, and do that within a, a company, I think, is also a really interesting challenge. Uh, so that's sort of where I am right now, but definitely looking at, you know, how do I build this um, for the long term? And mm -hmm. I think at some point, you know, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Right now, I'm, I'm good with where I am. But you just mentioned uh, intersectionality uh, with regard to your work at Uber. Um, and one of, it's one of the questions I had for you is I've also seen you talk about inter intersectional feminism. Mm -hmm. um, and and then and now you're in tech. You've been in tech for a few years. And have you noticed how do you how do you bring not i guess intersectional feminism into your work in tech 
um, and mm-hmm. and because it's not like you can take your hat off when you when you mm-hmm. leave the office, you go home, right? And you're a woman of color, you're mm-hmm. a woman, right? So, how do you integrate that into your daily life, working in tech, uh, from a diverse standpoint, dealing with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm doing that right now, and I'm I'm very vocal uh, about the fact that we need to take an intersectional um, view and approach to the D- the DNI and diversity work that we do, right? I think. Um, across every industry, but especially in tech, you will find that women of color are not being focused on um, as much as they should be. And uh, part of that conversation is, you know, when people say, oh, we want to do something, we really want to, we want to focus on women. Mm-hmm. And it's me saying, well, you know, what we're not doing, we're doing pretty good actually on women and we're doing okay, you know, we're doing better on um, racial and ethnic diversity. So what about focusing just on women of color, right? Like how about that? Um, and just being, I think, direct about that. And and when we talked about this earlier about, you know, in terms of like housing stuff and how you show up as a um, corporate citizen is, is are you committing to that? And are you being, um, you know, honest about the fact that we need to prioritize it? And are you actually, are you actually doing it? And so, I think it's starting with a conversation and actually I think, you know, intersectionality and intersectional feminism is a big, I think, buzzword now and sort of like the women's equality feminist movement. But is it in tech? Like, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And to your exact question, how do we bring that momentum? How do we bring that conversation and that very important dialogue into these institutions that have incredible power and influence and impact on on these communities? Um, so and it's it's about not just right, like recruiting and pipeline and making sure that we are bringing women of color. And when I I'm talking about underrepresented um, women of color in tech, so I'm talking specifically about black and Latinx women. Uh, are we retaining them? Are we promoting them? Are we putting them in positions, you know, in management positions? Are we um, creating an, an environment where they're set up for success, right? And this is actually another thing that I'm working on right now and really proud of this work that we are leading um, at Uber, which is putting a, a, a specific focus on women of color and also saying that, um, you know, we need to create power and communication between these two communities. First of all, there are, when I'm talking about black and Latinx communities, there are so few of us <laughs> to begin with that I feel like we need to really join forces to create, you know, more power and influence. But I also mm-hmm. think the point is that as much as our experience, our experiences are distinct to the point of intersectionality, there is also a lot of um, overlap and, and universality in the way that we experience, um, you know, being in tech. And so, I am really excited that we're starting to do some work around bringing these communities together. Again, starting with like, we need to focus on them, we need to support them, we need to um, be in constant dialogue with them about how we can support them, um, but taking it you know, to the next level, which is saying, you know, how can we also bring communities together to um, you know, build more power together? I think we, we're doing so much in sort of silos, um, and I think there can be a lot more progress made if we're able to actually focus on the, some of these issues together. For sure. Yeah, well, um, I definitely don't want to take up too much more, <laughs> more of your time. <laughs> okay. but. I could talk all day. Yeah. I could, too. So <laughs> yeah, we didn't even inter- introduce you. I know. Yeah, sorry. I mean, we just jumped right in talking <laughs> about. I mean, we'll do that in our yeah, okay, I'm, glad, cool. I'm glad I had you hit the record button. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, well, thank yeah, you. Thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely. How, Thanks how is, for having how me. How exciting is it to have uh, Aunt Kamala run for president? It is so exciting. It is so stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those things where, and I uh, forget sort of how her campaigns affect me on a personal level. Um, 
she was running for attorney general during my first year of law school, and I was her deputy campaign manager up until I left for law school. And there came a point during my 1L final exams, which is just like the you know most stressful period for any law student, where I was like, I have to, you guys have to stop email, like take me off all chains, like I cannot even like look at this stuff because it just you know it affects you like that. Um, and so I, I'm trying to just like adjust to realize that I'm back in that mode. And it's so exciting, I think, in terms of, you know, her vision. And I, I obviously um, am biased, but I believe, you know, she is um, the leader that we need um, in this, mo- this very moment. I think just from a, you know, broader perspective, having, um, you know, all these women running is incredible and and such an amazing thing for my two daughters to see um, and to see a a black woman running is an incredible thing. Um, And I think it's an opportunity to, you know, really, again, uh, back to kind of the conversation we've been having is um, have really deep, meaningful conversations about some serious uh, policy and social issues that, um, I think are getting more serious uh, by the day with this administration. And um, so I think when I, when I think about civic engagement and opportunities for that, I get excited in you know, presidential elections because it's, it's a, a moment when people are really paying attention. Again, I think it's about how to engage people outside of those you know, specific moments too, but um, that really excites me. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like just balancing the, the incredible excitement and inspiration with like the daily anxiety of seeing a loved one like up on this enormous you know stage but I have to say you know every moment of anxiety and stress I come out feeling like damn she is just she's she's doing it so it's really amazing to see awesome. yeah well, thanks for coming in Mina. thank you yeah. thanks for having me